So what do you get when you're the 33rd live action Japanese film in a franchise that has been going for almost 70 years and has had 37 total live action features, 33 Japanese and four American, you get a masterpiece of a film. Hi everyone, this is Chris, and you're listening to One Cross Radio, and today we are just jumping right in. We are looking at the newest release from Toho and the newest live-action Godzilla film in the absolutely amazing Godzilla Minus One. Um, now I'm going to be straight up, there are going to be spoilers in this, Um because I don't think I can talk about the movie in a satisfactory way without diving into some of the spoilers. Um, from the get-go, this trailer, the trailer for the film had a very it had a very different tone. Um, most Godzilla films take place after 1954. Um, even though Shin Godzilla was a a complete reboot in a way where it didn't uh serve it didn't have any sequel parts to the 54 original gojira um it still took place in the modern day um so it was after 1954 this is the first full-on godzilla film uh to take place before 1954 in the Heisei film Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, there was a segment where the Godzillasaurus was, that eventually became Godzilla, was shown during World War II, but that was like a five, ten minute scene. Um, Godzilla, when he's been Godzilla, has always been after 1954, except for Godzilla minus one. So I wasn't sure how the setting would impact the story, but holy crap, does it deliver? Um, so let's just cut right to it. This movie, even though it is a kaiju film, it's, I'd argue this is, this is a film. Now, there is, I think there can be a distinction between film and movies. Movies can be more of the popcorn flair. And I like movies, but I also I also do enjoy when there's more meaning and deeper explorations. And you can even do some of that within a movie where it's still popcorny. Um, but this is like a full drama in a way, just in the setting of a with a kaiju film aesthetic. Um, this is in a way a meditation on trauma, on post-traumatic stress, on survivor's guilt, potentially also on those self feelings of, of cowardice or other people, um, uh, 
imposing those beliefs on you. Uh, it really does look at, at how a lot of Japanese peoples and Japanese soldiers who survived World War II had feelings of those things after that, but also how they felt their their government and their country was treating that their lives with very very little worth um and i expected some of that coming into this uh coming into this movie i didn't expect all of it i didn't expect it to make me feel the way i did or even better feel the way that so many other people have felt seeing this film. Uh, because this film is catching on in a way that no other live-action Godzilla film has, um, at least from the, from the Toho side of things. Um, it was released in Japan in November, and it, it got huge critical acclaim there, more than made its budget back. And it was known it was going to get a limited release in North America. And I believe that a release was supposed to originally be for about a week. So it would have been from December 1st through December 8th. But during that limited release on its limited screens, it made back the film's budget in North America and U.S. and Canadian dollars, and then some. Uh, so the film had already made its budget back, and its budget has been reported between ten and fifteen million dollars, which has been some of the hugest discourse coming out of the film. And we can we can touch on that towards the end. Um, but just as a Godzilla fan, uh, and even though I have my love of Shin and it and Gojira are the ones, I feel like you can recommend outside of like, hey. These are fun monster romps, and sometimes they look at deeper meanings. Sometimes they explore it in a serious manner. But also these are still, for the most part, monster romps. The 54 original Shin and now Minus One exist outside of that. Um, and it is a testament to the filmmakers of Minus One and, again, of Shin that a franchise that has been going for almost 70 years, the last two live action from Japan, especially minus one in this year alone, are debatably in the conversation for the best of the entire franchise. That's incredible. The rarity of that is, is insane. But that it's still going on, and it's not just hardcore fans saying this, it's catching on, with a wider audience, it got extended first to second week where it got more theaters. And that's when I was lucky enough to see it. Um, originally, I wasn't going to be able to get to go see it beforehand just because of work. Um, and the closest theater is about a 30 minute drive. Um, and I just didn't get paid before that. But then because of how well it did in that first week, they extended the release, added more theaters, so I actually got to take a client for uh, for my second job. Um, who also really wanted to see it. I got to go. I got to take him to go see minus one, and it was just breathtaking. Um, 
And then after seeing it, just seeing more of that reaction has been so nice. And they're extending it, the release in North America even further and adding more uh, more screenings. So I can't recommend it enough. If you get the chance, go see this on the big screen. It'll be wonderful on the smaller screen, but it is fantastic viewing in in a theater um some of the stuff will look better on the big screen and just if you like seeing how film can impact people at times you don't get a better shot at that than in than in the theater so if you can i'd highly recommend going and seeing it in theaters so back to the movie itself uh, where I could tell, like, oh, this is going to be different than I thought, even though we're already in post-war Japan. Um, actually, before I quickly jump in, I'll just quickly explain, because it, it was lost on some people uh, what the meaning of minus one is. So in the announcement trailer for it, they said, like, this, the flick starts in the waning days of World War II. Uh, and then it takes, it does a couple time jumps, but it's immediately after, and in the first several years after World War II. So Japan is devastated. Um, of course, people think about Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but th the country had also been firebombed repeatedly. So Tokyo is not quite a full wasteland, but it's like crumbled houses, huge loss of life, um, and people just starting to get their lives back together. And knowing a little bit of history about World War II and where Japan was at the time, I think helps, but it's not necessary seeing it because the film does a good job explaining it. But Japan at the time in the real world, um, they had kind of become isolationist, I believe, around the late 1800s, early 1900s, and even though they were a big help in World War I, they didn't get a lot of respect um, from the other countries. Uh, they were still looked at as less than, so that really led to more of an isolationist feeling, um, the way power grabs were going on, and then they were taking other land. Um, the emperor of Japan had been basically deified, um, so at the end of the war, after Japan did surrender, a lot of the common people and some of the soldiers, even though they didn't like they were doing their duty, they didn't necessarily agree with what the generals were sending them to do. They still felt heartbreak over like the emperor coming out and announcing this. They felt like they failed the emperor who had been like, you were told of him. You never heard from him directly. Um, he had been deified. So there was a lot of feelings of shame, even though it was the, it's like to surrender was absolutely the right course and should have happened before the bombings. There was a lot of that. Um, and then it's exempt. Some of this is exemplified in the, in the characters. So the main character um, you open up on the movie on him landing on Odo Island. You find out he's a kamikaze pilot who wanted to live. Now, a lot of the kamikaze pilots in World War II, 
this was this wasn't necessarily a role they signed up for, a role they wanted to do, but it was something they were more or less forced into. Um, so their lives were decided as like, hey, no, it's for the greater good. If you can kamikaze bomb the Americans, like it can keep the war going. We might be able to save some face or maybe not lose as much because it it would have been a bitter battle to the end, but the end was coming. Um, Japan wasn't going to win uh, at the end of the day, but they were going to make it as brutal a battle as possible uh, with as much chaos as possible. And that included just sacrificing the lives of their own men. Um, and some of that had even spread into the civilians. If the, American troops were ever to land on the Japanese mainland. Um, so we opened the movie with that. So he's a kamikaze pilot, but he's saying that something's wrong with his plane. So Odo Island has some, uh, like has some mechanics there. They check out the plane. One of them believes he's just fleeing from his duty um, and this guy wants to live, but he also feels conflicted about it because he feel like there's implied feelings of cowardice. Like I should be able to do this, but I can't, I just want to live. Um, then Godzilla pre atomic bomb shows up that night, um, on the Island and, He's smaller than we've ever seen him before. And then when people open fire on him, he massacres them. Like you see a bit of blood. You don't see him eating people, but you do see him like chomping on people, ragdolling them, throwing them around. Like it's, it's visceral. Um, the guy is the main character is sent to his plane to shoot him. And they're like, those guns can rip through him. He gets there, but he freezes and his hands shaking, and then it's something you come ac across later in the movie. Like, the kid's traumatized by his experiences in the war. And it's presumed he did other stuff before he was put in the role of the, the kamikaze pilot. And when he sees this monster coming towards the plane, he freezes. And then as Godzilla attacks the plane, he gets away. There's only one other survivor who's also gravely injured, and as the not gravely injured, but severely injured. And as the plane explodes, it knocks the guy out. So he wakes up the next day. Godzilla's nowhere to be seen. But the other survivor, the main mechanic, is there, but he's pulling the bodies of all his friends over. And then he sees this guy alive, and he goes at him. Like, how could you... Like, why didn't you shoot? This could have been stopped. Like... These guys were going home. They were going to see their families. He was. They were going to see their children. So he's heaping on a lot of frustration and upsetness at the main character. And you, you can understand why, but it adds to the character's survivor's guilt and overall guilt and trauma. And then after the war is like the surrender is announced as people are on their way back to the mainland uh mainland japan he's on a boat and someone hands him an envelope but you don't see what's inside it we later find out within the envelope is photos of every mechanic on that base 
photos of them, photos of them with their families. And it's a reminder, like, because of me, they died. Uh, so he's got the survivor's guilt of this big time. When he arrives back to his home in Tokyo, he finds it destroyed. Uh, his town is destroyed. It's in ruins. One of his neighbors is alive, and they are briefly happy to see him. Um, but then they're like, wait a second. What are you doing here? You were a kamikaze pilot. And then they start reacting very emotionally and angrily at him. Uh, basically calling him a coward, saying, if more people like you, if people like you had just done their jobs, maybe we wouldn't have lost the war. Maybe I wouldn't have lost my children because this, this woman had lost her children, lost her husband. She lost her family and her home too. Uh, so she's bitter about this. And you can, you can understand even though she's wrong. Um, and that adds more guilt to him. And then he finds out his entire, like his family, his, his parents, they're gone. So now he's, in a way, an unwelcome presence in his in in Tokyo in his hometown. Um, anybody who kind of knows him treats him as a pariah, and there's anger at him. And from what I understand, this happened also to a number of other Japanese veterans um, because of the feelings of resentment and being upset about losing about losing the war, about surrendering, and what happened. Um, couple days later there's he's in the town and there's a woman fleeing um police and she just hands him a child and then she runs away um and he's holding this newborn baby he and then he just sits and waits for her to show up and then later he like as he goes to leave because he's like i can't stay here um and at first he starts to walk away from the baby but then he he still takes remorse. He's like, I can't, I can't do that. So as he's leaving, the woman who fled earlier is still there. Um, and she's been waiting for him to leave. And they have a, a delight, an actual delightful conversation where you get more development uh from from the main character and from her. He doesn't fully share his story with her, but he shares like he's alone. She's like, Why couldn't you like why couldn't you leave him? Like, why didn't you just leave the baby? He's like, I more like like I can't. And then she finds that interesting. So she follows him to what he's been able to make a hut out of his old home, like barely anything, but it's at least got some walls and coverage from the elements. Um, and as they're talking, he finds out like this isn't her child either. She was in, I think, Tokyo when it was being firebombed. She might have been a nurse or something, but she was working with the child's mother and then the mother was gravely injured and she made this character promise that she'd get her, her daughter out of there. Um, so this guy is like, she ends up staying and at first he's opposed, but then he just allows it. And then that adds some cultural in like some interesting cultural pieces because Japan in many ways can be very conservative so an unwed an unwed man an unwed woman living together with a child that's not their own it does draw some 
some interest and some looks and some judgments from the people. The neighbor who earlier went at him sees the child in a bad state. And at first she's like, what are you doing? Like, you think this is going to make you a hero? It's too late for that. And he just explains like, I can't send them out. They've got nowhere to go. I'm just trying to do the right thing. This child isn't even hers. And, and then the lady's like, what? So she goes in and she's like, because she's been a mother and this woman who picked up the child had never been, she doesn't know what to do. She's like, she's malnourished. You need to get her some food immediately. And she ends up giving them some money or some formula for in the meantime, where it's like, you need, like, this will help for now, but you need to go get food or, or the baby will die. Uh, they thank her and then they become an informal, informal family. And this woman is kind of like the crotchety aunt, um, but she's there. She's a great character as well. And that's the other thing. So many characters, there's not a bad character amongst the human characters in this at all um for people who have been like oh in the monster movies we're not we're not here for the humans we're just here for the monsters like no at times you like you you need the humans because that's what connects us as people to it and it's also hard sometimes to do an hour and a half to two hour long story where it's just monsters who don't speak english who can't explain their emotions or anything like that this has amazingly developed characters with a very complex story. Godzilla doesn't show up much in this, but when he does later, holy crap. So the movie jumps forward, I think it's by several months and then about a year. Um, and the main character accepts a job because it's high paying. Um, now there are risks involved where he's going to be on a ship made out of wood. Um, but there's an actual reason for that where they're going to be going out to connect, uh, collect mines that were left over from when Tokyo Bay and other bodies of water around Japan had lined it with mines to keep the Americans away. Um, since now there are peaceful relations, they've, it's part of the post-war cleanup. So he signs up with that. Um, She's nervous about it. He's a little less so, but it's more so like, hey, look, with this money, I can get, like, we can get our 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 daughter food. Um, and it's implied that there's romantic feelings between them, but nothing has happened. They're still strictly platonic. Um, and that's later explained with a uh, with a direct line of dialogue, but also the reoccurring theme of, for this character... And for many in Japan, their war isn't over. Even though the war is over, they're still haunted by their experiences in the war. Uh, at points, this character wakes up from nightmares, not only from Godzilla, but also just from his experiences in the war. So he's going through the post-traumatic stress. The exploration of it is beautiful and heartbreaking. Um, at points, he's freaking out and he's briefly in moments convinced like no he's dead and this is his purgatory his hell like he's living but he's haunted he's isolated he feels disconnected all he for the most part feels is pain sorrow guilt harm it's just it's beautiful it's it's sad and heartbreaking but it's beautiful 
and the exploration of it is is just beyond wonderful. Um, and there's scenes where the girl has to calm him down and not physical in an abusive way, but as he's spiraling, he's like, what if you're just a vision? Like what, like, what if I'm not here and we're just like, I'm just dead and I haven't realized. And she had like, it's when she pushes him to his bed, like that separation that he starts to calm down and come out of that spiral. Um, That exploration was wonderful. And her, like this character's continued, the female's character continued support of him during all this is also just beautiful and wonderful because so many people wouldn't go through with that where it's it's scary for her too um then as he's doing the boat thing the movie skips forward more we get to i believe it's 47 where the uh, bikini it's whole testing happens and you see the fallout hit godzilla um and that's where he starts becoming the Godzilla that we know and we see in the trailers more. Like, much larger, more, like, always bipedal, but more so standing up on his back. Or not on his back, but standing with his back straight and less, more like a, less like a T-Rex kind of thing. Because when he started, he looked more like a dinosaur while still being, looking like Godzilla. Um, and then he starts taking out American ships and Japanese ships off screen. And at first they're like, Hey, we gotta do some, um, he get their boat gets voluntold in a way that they're gonna start trying to look for this thing. Uh, see where ships have crashed and see if they can deter it, um, possibly hurt it until, the like Japanese war cruisers can show up because also they're trying, this is at an interesting part in Japan's history where after world war two, Japan doesn't have an official army. Now they're allowed self-defense forces, but they also basically have to get permission from the U S to mobilize and do things. Uh, that was one of the agreements of the, the surrender in the treaty, um, but they can't ask the, if it's more forceful force, they basically have to ask the Americans to intervene, but this is 1947. This is also the cold war. Uh, so the U S can't help because Russia is going to see them making moves and that's possibly going to make Russia feel like they've got to do something potentially with a nuclear warhead. So nothing's going on there so japan's kind of on its own um and this guy when he starts hearing about the stuff and when they get to the ships and he sees the damage and they're like what could have done this he sees the earlier in the movie and i forgot to mention with the legend on odo island it's if dead like when dead fish appear near the shore like numerous like bodies of dead fish appear um, like it's a sign that Godzilla is coming ashore. In this case, when he see, he sees beyond like what he saw there, but he sees the damage. Some of it starts reminding him. Then he sees the the so many corpses of fish, and it's 
later implied like it's the radiation coming off of Godzilla um, that he realizes what they're dealing with. And he's like, we can't do this. We're done. Like we're, we're we can't do this. We got to get the hell out of here. And the captain of the ship, who was also uh, a veteran of the war, was like, no, we got a job to do. It sucks. Like, it feels like the government's treating us with little worth, but, like, until things get here, we're well, they got. And it leads to some comedy as well, because when Godzilla surfaces and they actually see him, the captain's like, screw this. <laughs> like, let's go. Um, and their instructions were to try to damage it with some mines. So they've picked up some mines, but instead, like, they're using their mines they picked up, and then they're trying to more or less throw it throw them at Godzilla as he's swimming towards them. And you see some of that, those shots in the trailer and that whole section of the movie has such a Jaws vibe and they translate it so well, like it's so genuinely tense and the movie's done a great job at making you care for these people that you're not wanting them to die. So you feel, you feel their peril. Um, at one point they actually do damage Godzilla um they drop a mine it ends up in his house uh, in his house his mouth and then they're able to shoot the mine and it explodes while it's in his mouth and it blows off like half his face um but then we see the regenerative the regenerative abilities of godzilla because he's still got half his face but as he's like crying out in pain they're looking on in horror and seeing like his face regenerate so then it looks blast was clo close enough to them that their their ship got damaged um so godzilla's coming in for the the final blow on them and then the cruiser the japanese war cruiser shows up and it starts like shooting him with their cannons and it looks like it's it's working and he's taking some big damage big damage and they're like what the hell what is this um now it's more it's not like blowing him apart or that kind of big damage but it's just he's getting hit he's crying out but the damage looks minimal they're real they later realize like conventional weaponry isn't the way to go um and then you, we see the first instance of his atomic breath now, the last two Godzilla movies from Japan have done some of the most original things with the atomic breath in minus one, it's called the heat ray, um, that have happened in any Godzilla film period. Now, I feel that they took slight influ influence, and I could be wrong, but to me, they took slight influ influence from 2014's Godzilla, the first one in the legendary films in the MonsterVerse, where every live-action Godzilla film since then, when he's used the atomic breath, there's been the charge-up. Um, this had it. We get a much clearer version of the charge-up later, but Shin Godzilla as well had a charge-up period, and it works. It adds dramatic weight to the moment as well. Um but how they've done the atomic breath in uh, in this film and Shin is so different than how they've done it in any other Godzilla film, just either through Shin's where it starts off as smoke and ash, then fire, which lights up the, the ash and smoke and stuff, and then 
fine tunes into like a cutting beam with so much destructive force, but it's not like blunt force where the atomic breath used to be more blunt force in this. And it's shown well in the first time, but in the second scene and the one that's been shown in TV spots a lot, it's, it is more powerful. You see more of the impacts because it's land and it's in a city. But with this, uh, when he does it, it still kind of builds up like it did in Shin. But then where the atomic breath hits, it then has like a nuclear a nuclear bomb effect in the sense of it, there is a massive explosion and a mushroom cloud. And it's just visually arresting. It's horrifying and majestic. Um, so then eventually Godzilla pieces away, but they're like, what the hell are we going to do? Like, this thing's still around. What are we going to do? Uh, as the movie carries on, as they're figuring out stuff they're going to do, the the guy's friend, I'm sorry, I just don't have their names written down, the characters or the actors. Um, the the mother with uh, the adoptive mother of the child, she gets a job in, I think, Ginza, um, which is also un, uh, very untraditional because most of the time it's the breadwinner is the man and the the wife stays home but with this neighbor looking after the child while both of them are off it works and allows them both to make more money to build a better life for themselves and for their for their child um giza it's in giza um but then they they start to become aware uh they put up beacons to pick up i think it's radiation stuff for I know that's later in the movie. I think it's before the Giza scene. Um, but it's learned that Godzilla's gonna make landfall again, and this time it's in Giza. Um so this is where the woman works. As she gets there, uh she's on the train as Godzilla's arriving. So she like they're doing an evacuation as much as possible, but people are gonna miss that. So when Godzilla makes landfall, it's chaos he doesn't start just like blowing things up but he's a massive creature so even just walking through it's it's going to cause chaos and the way they show that like you really feel the 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 scale of the death in this movie and they do it very effectively by not going overboard with it but in certain sections when Godzilla steps it's so heavy it's causing things to crumble around him it's also causing the ground in front of him just due to the shock of him stepping to shoot up um so you're seeing people being ragdolled around in a way just from Godzilla walking and then of course while there's people trying to run away from him because there's so many they're getting stepped on they're having stuff fall on them so you're seeing the the destruction um you're seeing the loss of life and it does have an impact it's it's brutal without going overboard on it without making it spectacle um and in this sequence it does have references to the japanese original outside of just scores where when godzilla comes across a, a train he bites it and picks it up um and the the woman friend the non-wife <laughs> and i don't mean that disparagingly it's just uh 
clarify she's in the train now she she thankfully survives that aspect and the main character when he heard what he went to the city to go to go help her so as he's running with her they're trying to flee um godzilla's knocking over buildings uh the defense force shows up with their tanks so they start shooting at him um but then godzilla starts the charge up and then we see it more now than we did in the water scene um where the spines jet out as they start to glow blue so it, it looks painful for godzilla too and this causes uh the main character to to freeze because he sees what happened and he remembered what happened to the to the boat he re like it's the trauma of it all now i forgot to say earlier he hadn't been able to fire a weapon at godzilla or fire a weapon until godzilla was chasing them anytime he went to like his hands would shake and they would freeze but he wouldn't be able to actually fire uh but then he was able to earlier in thankfully earlier in the film when godzilla showed up and it protected him and his crewmates on that on that ship um that as as he sees what's happening uh he knows like this is this is not gonna this is gonna be hugely bad uh but he he's frozen and he's frozen by like in front of an alley um and then godzilla does the does the atomic breath hits some tanks hits a building but then you get this huge mushroom cloud but then as well with just the explosive force of it hitting it sends insane wind so it like that's part of the destruction it just starts blowing everybody away and in in his frozen moment he just turns to this friend like this one person who's even though he's got good relationships with his crewmates like this this woman his friend actually knows his story and she's been the only one to show him like unconditional love and support uh throughout his horrible experiences after he turns to her and then she pushes him into the alley right before the wind hits and then she's blown away and then there's kind of a the wind kind of sucks back in but we we don't see her again and then when he when it stops he comes out and he's calling for her and the actor does such a good performance because not only is he yelling loudly his voice is also starting to waver and crack because he's realizing it so it's almost like this lifeline character this one who was giving him some hope of normalcy um and was grounding him in his like grounding him outside of the trauma in his mind and the war still going on for him is gone uh and then you get this amazing scene of godzilla almost studying the seeing the mushroom cloud and seeing the devastation of his own power and then he roars and then you get this character who's an ant in comparison just screaming uh in rage and in pain at godzilla and it's just such a wonderful scene um so they they do a funeral for for her 
um, even though they couldn't find the body, find out like 30,000 people died. Um, there were survivors, but they were poisoned by radiation. Leftovers of the city are leaving, have a radioactive footprint. Um, so dude's devastated, like absolutely devastated. Um, then you find out that one of the other characters on the boat who had been called Doc, he had been involved in the war, but he was more of a thinker. They are trying to come up with a way to get rid of Godzilla outside of conventional weaponry. And it's mostly, it's all people who had served in World War II, some who are generals, some who were lieutenants, but they don't have the official backing of the government. Um, they don't have access to any of that tech because, again, what they have to do to petition America. Um, but then it's also feared, like, if Russia sees Japan making the making these moves, they're going to think that America has endorsed this and support this, and it could escalate tensions and could escalate to all-out nuclear, nuclear war. Um so it's very much just like Japanese people trying to defend their country from this, from this creature. Um, and they come up with a plan that is, I'm not going to say weird, that it makes a load of sense in the movie. It's just difficult to explain because I don't know enough of it. But the, I don't know enough about it. But the main idea of it is they're going to surround him with this uh with a chemical that when it's in water it sinks it removes buoy buoyancy so they're going to they want to lure godzilla to around the deepest deepest part of tokyo bay and sink him to the floor where the water pressure would keep it like it would keep him from coming the sinking thing should be able to keep him from coming up um, but then also the pressure in theory, if it doesn't, if it doesn't crush him, uh, it will hurt him significantly. Um, and then they do have a backup plan where they want, if that doesn't work or the things don't sink or keep him down and they've got ways of monitoring it, like it's basically got flotation stuff that will then raise him so fast that it will like he'll get very hurt that way and then also the i think the plan was to then try to sink again like when he's up like fire everything on him blow up the flotation devices and then try to sink him again um it's it's all they got so at this point as well our main character is planning on he tries to get a plane uh, and he ends up getting a plane, but he's gonna he he's planning on kamikazeing himself. Um, he eventually tracks down. He tries to get a hold of the mechanic from Odo Island who survived, but like the guy's gone off the grid. So he starts I, he starts sending out letters, I guess, to any living family or anybody that can get word to him that like he's looking for him. And in these letters, he's blaming him, the mechanic for the death of the, the crew on Odo. And the guy shows up, beats the crap out of him. And he's like, how, like, how the hell dare you say that? And he's like, I don't mean a word of it. I'm so sorry that I had to say that. 
like I needed you here because you're the only one who knows planes well enough that I can think of that's around. It has to be you. And then as they dive into the why it has to be you, he's also like, my, uh, the character says, my war isn't over. And I don't think yours is either. Um, this mechanic had, like, he had gone off grid, not become a full-on alcoholic, but, like, he looks very disheveled. Uh, his leg was injured when Godzilla showed up. So afterwards, he's been walking with a limp. Um, like, he looks more like a vagrant now. Um, and then he's like, this, like, that guy felt bad for what happened to his troops as well, because he was in command. So he's like, we're going to kill him. Now, he hasn't shared with his crew uh, the plan what his real plan with the plane is because as far as they know the plan is with the plane to lure godzilla out to the water so then the ships that they've been able to get um can do the the real damage but he's planning he's like i know that we can damage it like when we blew up the mine in it in his mouth like that hurt him where nothing else did um now, while he regenerated, if we can get enough explosives, I can fly into him and cause him to explode and maybe kill him. Um, so that's become his thing. He's now at the point where after losing all his family, losing his his best friend who he's who he was he was in love with, like he address like his crew were like, "What the hell? Why aren't you?" marrying her um like it's clear she has feelings for you why don't you have for her he's like i do but they're like what's your hold up and he's just like my war isn't over he doesn't feel like he can he's not past he's not past his trauma he's not past everything and he doesn't feel like he can be worthy or or be ready to do that um just living and providing for them is what he is capable of right now but beyond that he doesn't feel he's capable of anything so we're get, they've got now i know for sure they've got the stuff out in the water just to detect um any traces of uh nuclear radiation because that's a telltale sign that godzilla's in the area or coming towards the area um so they've got that out and then it's like when that goes we know he's coming because uh, their theory is godzilla now views this japan as part of his territory um and then when he's attacked he's defending his territory and then the buildings and stuff are just a casualty um he's not discriminately killing people but this character's got this plan. He's left a note with some money. So the day that everything's going on, that they're sure things are coming to a head because there's detection out far enough that they're like, yep, and it's got a pattern. He'll be making landfall in about a day, in about two days. So when he knows this is happening, um, he leaves an envelope with his daughter, the adopted girl, um, and then he sends her when she... For when she wakes up, it includes just outside 
the envelope. It just includes instructions to go see auntie um, and give her the note. When she opens the note, she sees like, this is him saying he's likely going to die. He won't be back. Take all this uh, to look after his, his daughter. Um, and then right after that, a post person shows up and gives her another letter that we don't see, but we just see it also has her incredibly she uh, frazzled and she has a deep emotional reaction to it. Um, as Godzilla makes landfall, it's in a smaller town and not a city, but the town's decimated because it's a giant creature. Um, and our friend lures, does lure Godzilla out. Now, before he leaves, uh, you do see a scene where the mechanic is going over stuff about, um, about the plane with him. Like, here's all this. Here's like, we were able to get everything you specified. All the bombs are in here. Like this, this will pack a huge punch like this. If it doesn't kill him, it'll hurt him tremendously, but we've got a lot of firepower here. Um, and then he's going over the stuff where it is. And then the camera pulls back and we don't hear, but as he says more and he points out more features to the plane, um, then the, the main, he, he's flying. He does lure Godzilla because Godzilla interprets him as he's approaching and then shooting at him. Even if it's not hurting him, he interprets him as like a, not a threat, but just something in his territory. So he starts chasing him out uh, into the bay. He leads them to where the boats are. Um, then they start sending the boats towards him. And then Godzilla fires his atomic breath. So we, we see it three times in the movie. Um, and it completely obliterates one of the boats. But it's then that we learn that only two out of the four boats are filled. Um, two were completely emptied because they were there as a distraction because... Godzilla kind of stands around afterwards and he can't go to the atomic breath right away again uh, as and it drains him a bit of his energy. So it's like once he's fired that we go, we're on him. Uh, he's in his recharge period. Um, so they they're successful in wrapping the the wires around with the canisters with the chemical and then they they sink him. And as they're sinking him, uh, like right before he's plummeted, like enough, several minutes have passed um, as they're doing this and Godzilla starts to charge back up. But then before he can fire the atomic breath, he's sunk and he does go to down near the bottom of the bay. And the pressure is so much that it starts to push his spikes back in. He's still living, but it's freezing down there the pressure's there so he starts to he starts to ice over but they can tell he's still alive and then he's still fighting as he's on the way down they're not sure fully if it's going to work so they they do go to plan b um but as he's coming up during the rush he also starts being able to tear away at the flotation devices um so he's all he stops part of the way up which doesn't help anybody. It allows 
because uh, the hope was with the pressure and then the massive rising uh, too quickly, like the plesh- the pressure would have a, a very negative impact on him. Um, even though I don't understand fully the science of it, I've listened to enough deep sea documentaries and including stuff about true crime with deep sea and stuff where if divers ride to rise too fast and they've been in places with deeper pressure, um, it can have a hugely negative impact on their body and they can die from it. Um, if people have been in deep water situations for a long time, they're then basically in a chamber for hours to days where they can re like their body can reclimatize to what the normal pressure is. So then they're not hurt. Um, but then as this is happening, they're like, we can't pull him up. Like our cables aren't strong enough. He's too heavy. Um, one of the crew earlier had been more or less fired. Um, this crew member had never been in the war and the as the other crew walked away from him like he was he was young he was just called boy um or no he was just called kid and their whole thing was like they were sparing him they were in this case they were like we're volunteering to put our lives on the line uh to save japan to save our country and we're okay with that we d- even though you might be willing we don't want you to you're young like you you're the next generation we're we're trying to save this for you you need to be away from this so you have a better chance of living they didn't explain that to him they did the cold thing in that way hoping like it'll push him away even more in his upsetness um the only uh, way i can the thought i had while watching it and the comparison i'd make is think of the scene rise of skywalker where they're about to lose and then Lando shows up with everybody and they're like, where'd all these ships come from? This is too fast for a Navy. I see no insignia. They're just people. It's like that, but good. Um, Cause this character shows up with a tugboat. He's cause he was aware of the plan and what it was doing. And he wasn't going to take no for an answer because they were concerned about the weight anyway. So he, he got a lot of civilians out there in tugboats of varying sizes um and it in a way reminded me of dunkirk not yeah dunk yeah dunkirk the battle of dunkirk where like army ships couldn't necessarily get in so there'd be common commandeered civilian ships as well as civilians just showing up to rescue these soldiers so the ships can't pull up godzilla they also can't go too far. They're t- like, they've taken a bit of damage, but then the tugboats show up and then they pull the other ships, which help them pull up Godzilla. But then he's had enough, enough time to like uh, any of the effects are kind of, he's more or less regenerated through them. When he pops out, he's pissed. Um, and he's, like the beam just start the atomic breath, the heat ray in this flick just starts charging up again and people resign themselves to, to their fate. Um, but this time again, and it's something they brought up earlier, like we're fine with it in a way because this was our choice. 
we made the choice to lay down our lives for our country. Uh, we weren't forced into this. We weren't told to do this. We weren't made to do this. Like all of us signed up for this. This was our own judgment call and we are happy to do it. Um, so they've, they're resigning themselves to their fate. And then our main character who's flying the plane is flying in there like, what's going on? And then the plane, as Godzilla is about to fire off the atomic breath, the plane flies right into his roaring mouth and then explodes. Uh, so they're like, what the hell? They're, they're devastated. They're like, what the hell? What's he doing? Why did he, why did he kill himself? Um, and then they're running through the whole gambit of emotions. Uh, even one of them's like, I'll never forgive him if he, before this happens, they're like, where to go? And they're like, I was worried he was gonna, I was worried he was gonna f do something stupid and try to kamikaze pilot into Godzilla. And if he left his daughter alone, I'd never forgive him for that. So that was planted earlier. And then we're getting this and they're all devastated about the loss of their friend. But then the explosion like blows up Godzilla's head. Um, and at first they're all, there's at first in a way, a reaction of surprise, but then also shock and, and sadness um, as the music's swelling and they're giving a salute because it looks like Godzilla's dead. Uh, wait, no, sorry. That happens right after. Um, but then they see someone with the telescope telescope sees in the distance, um, a parachute parachute floating. And our main character is attached to the parachute and on, on the seat. Um, and then they're, they're all elated that he lived. And that's where we get the flashback to that scene I described earlier, where the the camera pulled back as it, we're seeing the plane and the mechanic who had been established had hated this character who we thought would never forgive him. Um, he was like, and here is like, this is the thing for the bombs. Make sure it's set for this. Like that's, we heard, we didn't hear after that. And then he's like, here is the ejection thing. When your coordinates are locked, when you're flying in, pull this. And as he looks at him, he's, like, what do you mean? I can't, I can't. He's like, you need to live. That's the best thing you can do to honor those who came, like to honor those we've lost, to honor those who've come before. This is like, you need to live. And that's the best thing you can do. Um, and he followed through with it. And it was like, even that's beautiful seeing where this character who it was based on pure rage and vengeance and loss like it was about killing Godzilla, even if it, like, even if he dies, so be it. He's like, I'll, then I can be at peace because I took out the thing that's caused so much harm that I allowed to happen. Because he feels guilt over not shooting Godzilla when he was, before he became the giant atomic monstrosity. Um, and then after the, like, the atomic ray, the heat ray, starts it doesn't just end because godzilla's air like it's still shining but it doesn't have the direction way to go the energy still built up and it starts ripping apart godzilla's body period like it starts 
ripping him up from the inside. He's kind of not quite melting, but crumbling away um, from the inside out. And then a cheer erupts, but then also they do a salute, um, which to me was a bit of like saluting those that have been lost due to Godzilla, um, but also saluting towards Godzilla in the way of that's something that's been there since the original Godzilla is just, even though he's causing the destruction, he's just a creature. Uh, it's not man deciding to do these things. Like Godzilla's just living. Um, so there was a bit of that as well in that salute. Um, then we get the four characters, the four crew members reuniting. They're so thrilled that this guy is alive. The, when the boat gets back to shore, um, Auntie is there with the daughter. And at first she's like, how could you do that? And then she she smacks him, but she's thrilled that he's he's alive. Um, but then she hands them hands him a note. You see his eyes get watery and and hope actually pop up on his face. And then he goes to a hospital and we find out that the the girl, the one who had give, given him feelings of normalcy and of hope, is still alive. She she lived. Now she has some radiation burns on her on her neck. Um, so we know life's not going to be easy for her. But heck, this is a uh, post-war Japan. It wasn't easy for anybody. Um and he breaks down sobbing just seeing her and she's so happy to see him and the i believe the last line of dialogue that we hear from from anyone is is your war over now and that's the impression we're given that it's he's finally at peace and he can move on from his trauma and now yes it's it's PTSD so it'll stick with him but he can actually move on and live um, and it's just, it's beautiful. And then we get something that I know I, I haven't seen mixed, mixed reactions to, but I know some people are like, what? So there's going to be a sequel. But to me, I'm like, it's even if you don't do a direct sequel to this, it's in line enough with Godzilla and what we established in the movie. Um, we right before the credits roll, we get to the heart sinking um, the, either the heart or just what remains of the body of Godzilla's body sinking to the depths of the ocean. Uh, but as it's, it is the heart cause it's beating, but as it's still beating, uh, we see it, we start to see it slowly regenerate, um, the body around it. So that's the idea as well. Like Godzilla will, will return. Uh, it doesn't say that before the credits or anything, but it gives you that impression, um, which was a very fascinating way to end the movie. Um, Shin Godzilla, I'd say, had a similar fascinating ending where they're like, we don't know how long this freezing solution we came up with will have will hold. Um, we know that when we do, uh, the clock starts counting down again and Japan will be 30 minutes away from being nuked. But the trailer, that not the trailer, that film ended on like human-sized Godzilla creatures emerging out of his uh, out of Godzilla's tail, and they were frozen to the tail. Um, 
that also had the implication of what's like so many horrific things going to happen after if if Shin ever unfroze. This leaves like leaves you with like Godzilla could return if they decide to continue in this timeline. Um, I can't say enough good things about this movie. It is beautiful. It's moving. It's heartwarming and heartbreaking in each equal, equal measure. Um, I, I I don't compare it to Shin, but I do bring up Shin a lot because it's the most recent Japanese film. Um, this and Shin are the only are the ones the best ones that channel that overwhelming at points negative but not like somber feelings from the 54 original Gojira although Shin you could argue like it, it in there Godzilla was a natural disaster and it was and that was the basis of the movie it was looking at that director and that writer's feelings of Japan shortcomings uh from the tsunami and then Fuku, uh, Fukushima and Daiichi um nuclear disasters um the meltdowns there it was very much inspired by those so it was looking at it was more of a political film but looking at what the inactivity um and red tape can caught like how that can cause more harm than good and the bureaucracy can become too bloated with this it was much more of a personal film and shin ended on that the when it ended you're like man if if that thing comes back like they're screwed. They're done. Because if it's not Godzilla, they're like Tokyo's getting nuked. Um, so I've seen some people say like Shin had an overwhelming bleak feeling. This, even though it explores heavy, complex, and deep emotions, and you're often feeling sad and sadness with the characters, it still ends in a hopeful way where you have not only hope for these characters, but hope for Japan and where it will go in the coming years. Um, Cause even though this is historical fiction, it has enough historical, actual historical basis that it still ends with you feeling like, Hey, this country will recover and become better. Um, now I can't remember if I clarified earlier. Uh, I know I went to, and then I think I, got derailed uh and wanted to get into the movie the title minus one the whole idea was like japan is at a zero after at after world war ii ends they are at an absolute zero much of the country is destroyed and in ruins many thousands of people are dead um it's difficult for there to be jobs for it to be a sustainable country so they're at an absolute zero. They're at their lowest. And then Godzilla shows up and makes things even worse. So it pushes it into the minus one. That, the title shows that meaning so well throughout the whole film. Uh, I can't rave about the performances enough in the in this film. Like, this is, this one makes you care more about the humans than any any other giant monster kaiju whatever you want to call it uh film has i can't think of the last time when and i i love the characters a lot of the characters in 
Gojira, the 54 original, and in Shin. But in Shin, it explores some of the characters. It, it makes sense in that movie, but this makes you care about almost every single character. They actually give you an emotional connection. So you truly care about the circumstances that these characters are in. You're feeling their pain, especially our main characters. The depiction of trauma and just how they how a lot of these people felt after what the people leading their country put them through in World War II and then how even some of the non-soldiers responded to them when they returned. Just holy crap. It's such a beautiful and tragic and wonderful exploration of trauma, survivor's guilt, post-traumatic stress, and so many things. It's, it's poignant. It's beautiful. It's so well shot. Um, one of the many... One of the biggest things coming out of it, though, uh, especially in, Nor in North America, the conversation, uh, a lot has been how can a movie that was made for f essentially 15 mil between 10 and 15 million American dollars um, in USD, how can something on that small a budget look that good? Uh, because it looked better than many of the huge budgeted Marvel flicks, Disney flicks, super, like superhero, block, then the blockbusters. It looked a lot better. Now, I and I argued with that with Shin. Shin looks better than a lot of modern day CG. Now, part of that is how the Japanese film industry and the North American film industry allocates its budget. Now, this isn't to say like the Japanese film industry is amazing. I think it's quite, it can be quite good, but it also has, I'd argue, a number of the pitfalls that the North American film industry and most film of the film industry at large does in the sense of how it treats its visual artists, the amount of pressure it puts on them, how little pay and the working conditions it puts them through. It's it's partially the, it a lot of those unfortunate commonalities exist. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. But something that helps with a lot of Japanese films that their North American counterparts don't struggle with as much is Japanese actors, they do have names attached to them, but they're not paid the same that North American film actors are. So... Like, let's, uh, an example being Avengers, and it's not to pick on Avengers, because I think the CGI and most of the, most of the Avengers movies holds up very well, uh, but part of the reason the budgets balloon so much on those movies is how much the cast makes. Um, like, I don't have the actual breakdown of it, but it'd be easy to imagine that, let's say the budget for one of the Avengers flicks is like... I don't know, 300 million, 400 million. Quite probably around 100 million of that alone is going to the cast. RDJ getting a huge amount, Evans getting a huge amount, um, and all that. The actor, it's not that actors, although probably some do get underpaid in the Japanese film industry, they're not paid nearly as much as North American 
actors are. Um, not in criminal ways, at least to my knowledge. I haven't, I've done a little bit of research into it. I haven't seen anything like that necessarily. It's just how the pay it is divided in the budget. Not nearly as much goes towards the actual cast as it does. So then more of it can go towards the special effects and stuff. So my hope is that North American films will look at this more. We'll look at that more and see like, hey, maybe we don't need our budgets to balloon as much where we're paying a hundred million on special effects, effects alone, but we're rushing it and we're putting the workers through terrible times and unrealistic and insane expectations. So even though we spent a hundred million dollars, we got something that looks like $50,000 and it looks terrible. Um, I'm hoping that the wider film industry can learn lessons from this um, as well as learn that, Hey, it doesn't always need to be ballooning stuff, ballooning story and just lighten frivolous stuff. Now that's not to knock the monster verse because I think Godzilla, like I'd say, and I said this on Twitter in a conversation, Godzilla like bond, like Batman, um, like so many characters who have existed for a while, Yes, they can arguably be at their best when they're in a more serious focus and more dark or gritty or what have you, or more mature. But all of those franchises, and I'd argue Godzilla in particular, through long periods of their franchise, and in Godzilla's case, the majority, the majority of that Godzilla's franchise was the lighter, more sillier monster romps. And yes, there were films that even though it, w it could be silly monster romps, they still went like, hey, we're dealing with aliens from outer space. We're dealing with this. It's at times played for comedy. Uh, at times it's just silly and borderline superhero. <laughs> um there were films that had deeper explorations of some themes like pollution, uh, the treatment of the environment, uh, grossness of consumerism, uh, capitalism gone awry, yada, yada, yada. A lot of the films did have some of those things and they were plot points and they were important plot points, but it was still the majority of the movie is arguably a silly monster. Movie. The legendary Godzilla films um, channels what most, I'd argue, of North Americans are familiar with Godzilla 4. Because even though the 54 original has that legacy, it didn't get an, an actual release in North America until like 2004 or 2005. So Godzilla's Japanese, uh, Godzilla's pop culture imprint in North America were the very bad dubs that were very silly of guys in suit, guys in monster suits fighting other guys in other monster suits. Um, the legendary films are the 70s Showa films in care, because uh, the Showa films, even though some of them were terrible, a lot of them were made with love and care. Uh, you, and when I watch something like King of the Monsters or even uh, King Kong, uh, Godzilla versus Kong, 
like, no, there, yeah, there's, this is getting ridiculous, but there is a love and care and a cherishment of these characters. And I'd argue in that, that era in particular. So there's room for Godzilla versus Kong. That looks like some, I've heard people describe it as, Oh, it just looks like you're, you're taking your toys and you're bashing them together. Like it or not, that has been a reality of Godzilla for most of its existence. Like they started getting away from the, the serious nuclear, uh, nuclear allegory by the time you got to his third film, Godzilla versus uh, King Kong versus Godzilla in 63. Uh, and it was just within three, four short years later that Godzilla was basically a, a, the savior of the earth doing a star of many memes wrapping his tail around and using his atomic breath to fly away or sliding along his tail to drop kick or like doing silly dancing and stuff like there's room for both right now we are getting more godzilla content than we ever have and that's awesome and it doesn't all need to be the same um I, would i love to see something along the lines of shin or minus one with an american budget yes but also those were deeply personal and deeply Japanese stories. So the context works. It would be, I think, trickier to do an American, a deeply personal American story that doesn't just rehash some of the other, like some of the more somber and serious elements from the other Godzilla movies, but in the North American context, it, would be trickier. Um, so right now, if you're a Godzilla fan, even if you like one more than the other, still be happy that we're getting so many options, man. Because for a long time, we weren't getting anything. And if we were getting something, it was one set tone, one set style. And now you're like, I can go for, I can watch a serious Godzilla movie that's going to give me like cause me to think and have emotional introspection. <laughs> um, and then I can also watch Godzilla and King Kong throw down and just with a giant bag of popcorn and a huge smile on my face. Like we got a smorgasbord right now and that's, that's pretty dope. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap it there. Uh, I can't encourage you enough to go see this movie. It is the best film i've seen this year hands down and one of the best films i've seen in the past couple of years just utterly fantastic i was expecting a good and more serious godzilla movie uh i was not expecting a story from the point of view of a kamikaze pilot and then diving into trauma as much as it did post-traumatic stress as much as it did feelings of cowardice feelings of survivor's guilt just it's such a rich film it is a fantastic film um and that does it for this episode of one cross radio i didn't think i'd be talking about this movie for an hour um and that actually wraps us up for the year um as you notice this episode dropped early because uh we are coming up on Christmas, and that is uh, normally I release the episodes bi-weekly, but uh, I wasn't going to drop this episode on 
Christmas Eve or on the Sunday or Christmas Day on on the Monday. So we're dropping it early. Uh, so happy surprise episode on this Friday, the 22nd. Um, hope you all have a wonderful time with your families. If you're celebrating Christmas, I hope it's amazing for you. Um, if you're celebrating any other of the many holidays that are going on at this time, I wish you the happy of the happiest of holidays. And I hope you have a great time celebrating that aspect of yourself and enjoying your traditions as well. Um, please be safe, be kind to one another. Uh, hope you all have a wonderful day, the happiest of holidays, a happy new year, and we will see you back in early to mid-January. Take care and God bless my friends. Peace!